Well, good morning, Orchard. Hey, turn to someone next to you, give them a high five for making it to church on Time Change Sunday, yeah? If you're by yourself, give yourself a high five. <laughs> I know like 90% of you were running late, but you're here. So let's give it up for being here. You're here. Good job. Good job. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning or your mobile devices, whichever you choose to follow along. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Today, we are concluding our series on this incredible man of God named Elijah. As you're finding your way there, I don't normally tell a lot of jokes. I tell stories that are funny, but I don't usually tell a lot of jokes. But I've got a joke for you this morning. Uh, today, we're talking about defeating depression, and so I have a joke about that. Uh, there was a story of a professor who taught uh, freshman psychology at the university. And so it was the opening day and he had kids from all over the United States were in his class. And he said, I want to ask you guys a question. He said, who can tell me what is the opposite of joy? What is the opposite of joy? And this girl from California raised her hand. She said, the opposite of joy is sadness. And he said, that's right. He said, who can tell me the opposite of depression? And so there was a kid from Florida raised his hand and he said, the opposite of depression is elation. And he says, that's right. He said, who can tell me what is the opposite of woe and everybody's kind of quiet and they looked around and weren't sure how to answer he said who could tell me what is the opposite of woe and finally this this guy from texas raised his hand he stood up and said the opposite of woe is giddy up <laughs> i appreciate the courtesy laugh from some of you for, for those of you that didn't laugh today we're talking about defeating depression which is what i feel from those of you that didn't laugh at my joke this morning. But we're going to talk about defeating depression. Um, you know, as we've watched Elijah uh, over the last few weeks, as we've been in this series in 1 Kings 17, 18, now 19, we've seen Elijah go through victory after victory as he's taken on, you know, the evil king Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal. God's answered his prayers. He's called down fire from heaven. He's had all these incredible mountaintop experiences. But I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but I've often seen times in my life, you know, I have these victories and mountaintop experiences, but then you got to go down into the valley. And sometimes the greatest uh, victories are followed by the biggest challenges in our life. And that's exactly what we're going to find happen today with Elijah's life as we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse 1. So look at it with me there. Um, it says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, everybody say Jezebel. Now, this is the evil, wicked wife of, of Ahab. And I told you, she's probably even more evil and wicked, wicked than uh, Ahab is. You're going to see that in the, in the story today. And, and kind of what's happening is we, we saw the mountaintop experience in Mount Carmel where he defeated the prophets of Baal. And so Ahab at this point is kind of afraid of Elijah. He's seen all that Elijah can do and how God has shown him favor. And so now he goes home and he whines to his wife, to mama. And he's like, Jezebel, you're not going to believe what Elijah did to us. And so that's what's happening. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, Elijah, just as you killed them. So she's threatening to kill Elijah because of everything that he's done. And so Elijah's like, bring it on. I'm not afraid of you. No, that's not what happened. It says, Elijah was what? Afraid. He was afraid of who? Jezebel. That tells you how scary this woman was and how wicked and how evil she was. That Elijah, this incredible man of God that hasn't been afraid of anybody or anything, now he's afraid. I mean, she must have been some pumpkin, I mean, for him to be this scared. And it says, Elijah was afraid, and he what? He fled for his life. He fled for his life. He runs. I mean, and as I read this, 
I'm like, what happened to this man of faith, this incredible man of God, Elijah, who's been so bold and took on Ahab and the prophets of Baal and, and prayed and God answered. And now he's scared and he whips out and he, he's fleeing from her and he's on the run. And as we're going to see, he runs and he gets discouraged, defeated, and he even gets depressed because of what she has told him. He gets depressed. Watch this in verse uh, 3, the second part of the verse. It says, he was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on how? Say it, church. He went on alone by himself into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He's like, I I just pray that I might die. I have had enough. Anybody ever felt that way in your life? I've had enough. I'm up to here. I can't stand anymore. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And he goes into this deep depression. Now, throughout this series, we have encouraged you, I've encouraged you to follow the example of this godly uh, man of God, Elijah, and and to follow him and put these things into practice in your life. But today is going to be the opposite. We're gonna, I'm going to say, don't do what Elijah did to, to get depressed. I, I believe we can learn something from everybody. Sometimes we learn what to do. Sometimes we learn what not to do. Amen? And, and right now, for just a moment, to get started and set the context today, I, I want to tell you how to get depressed in four easy steps. Okay? You're going to want to write these down and avoid them because this is exactly what happened to Elijah. You have it in your notes. You want to get depressed, the first thing you do is you wear yourself out. You want to get discouraged, defeated, get depressed, just wear yourself out like Elijah. We've been following Elijah, and I mean, for three and a half years, he's got battle after battle, you know, taking on the prophets, taking on the king, taking on a drought. Um, He's now running from uh, Jezebel. He's traveled all day long. We find him in 1 Kings 19, and he is exhausted. I mean, he's exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. No wonder he's depressed. No wonder he's discouraged. And some of you in your life, you're like, why am I discouraged? Why am I defeated? Why am I depressed? Well, maybe you're doing the same thing that Elijah was doing. You've wore yourself out. You're working 50, 60 plus hours a week. You're taking your kids here and there. You're making dinners. You're cleaning the house. You're going to PTA. And, you know, you're taking your kids to sports and dance and everything. And it's like you never have time to just rest and slow down. We got to be careful that we don't say yes to everything. In our series this year on choices, one of the choices we said is we got to be very selective with our yeses. And you want to know a quick way to burn out and being depressed? You just say yes to everything and you wear yourself out. That was what was happening to Elijah. Here's the second step to depression. Not only do you wear yourself out, but you shut people out. You want to find yourself discouraged, defeated, and depressed? You shut people out of your life. Notice what Elijah did. He went to Beersheba. He had his servant, his his buddy who'd been with him, his companion, and he told him, you stay here. You you just stay here. I'm going to go it on alone. I don't need anybody. I'm just going out to the wilderness to die. And And he just goes it alone. And don't we sometimes do that in our life? Whenever we're going through difficult times, discouragement times, depressing times, we shut people out. You know, we don't want to talk to anybody. We don't want to speak to anybody. We just kind of shut down. We stop going to church. We stop going to small group. We go into isolation. That's a great way to get discouraged and defeated and depressed is to wear yourself out. Shut people out. Here's the third step to depression. Focus on the negative. That's a real surefire way to get depressed. Amen? You focus on the negative. Elijah, here in this story... What we've been seeing, this incredible man of God, a man of faith, now he's wallowing in self-pity. 
He's like, you know, God, just take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. You know, I might as well just be dead. I'm just going to lie down under this broom tree, and I'm just going to die. And he's just wallowing in self-pity. And we've all been there. I've been there. And here's the problem. We start allowing self-pity to take over in our life. Self-pity exaggerates everything, doesn't it? Self-pity exaggerates everything. I'm no good. I'm stuck in this situation. I'm never going to get out. Things are never going to change. Things are never going to get any better. I'm never going to make better grades. I'm not going to ever get that promotion at work. You know, I'm in a dead-end job. If I eat this ice cream, I'm never going to fit in these jeans ever again. And, And we just exaggerate everything, all negative, all the time. Great way to get discouraged. Great way to get depressed is be negative. So how is it that Elijah is getting so depressed? What are the steps of depression? He's wearing himself out. He's shutting people out. He's negative now all the time. And then you really want to get depressed, you do this fourth thing. You forget about God. You forget about God. Sure way to find yourself depressed and discouraged. And that's what happened with Elijah. I mean, let me remind you as we followed Elijah in this story Elijah, whenever he went alone into the wilderness before and there was an epic drought that was going on and there was no water, what did God do? He provided him water by the brook. When he didn't have any food to eat, he sent the ravens to bring him bread and to bring him meat. Praise God to Jesus' glory on high. I like meat. He brought him bread. He brought him meat. He catered some food to him. Whenever he left there, he went to Zarephath. And there was a widow there that had her, she said, I'm going to eat this last meal with my son and we're going to die. And he said, no, you're not. And they prayed, they trusted God and there was enough food for months and God provided again. And then remember, he's the one that prayed that the rain would stop and it stopped. He prayed the rain would start again and it did. He prayed fire from, down from heaven and God answered that. I mean, God had provided for him over and over and over. And now Jezebel shows up on the scene and he's scared and he's running for his life. And there's no talk of God. There's no prayers. There's, there's no, no mention he's, other than he's like, God, just take my life. He forgot about the God who had provided and protected and guided and comforted him. The God who had answered all his prayers and given him all this incredible supernatural strength. When, when Jezebel showed up, Elijah forgot about God. No wonder he's depressed. No wonder he's discouraged. No wonder he's defeated. And if we're honest, that's sometimes what happens in our life. When we're depressed and we're down and we're out and we're discouraged, we forget about God. When the Jezebels of life show up in our life, in our situations, we sometimes forget about God. You know, maybe our marriage is really struggling. We've seen God do all these amazing things before, but then our marriage is struggling. We think, well, God can't help our marriage. And I'm not saying your spouse is Jezebel, okay? Let me just set that. Maybe your mother-in-law, but no, just kidding, just kidding. I'm going to be in trouble. My mother-in-law is in this service. I just got a glaring look. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom. But you know, there's something about these Jezebel moments in life. It's like we've, we've seen God provide and protect and guide in all these ways, but then there's some kind of Jezebel moment that shows up, and we're like, well, God can't handle that. If you're with me, say yes. Yo, God can't change my job situation. God can't heal this relationship. God can't fix you know, our finances, and we forget about God, and it's no wonder we're depressed. So what are the four steps to depression? Four easy steps. You wear yourself out. You shut people out. You focus on the negative all the time. And then you forget about God. That's exactly what was going on in Elijah's life. It's no wonder he was depressed. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, I wasn't depressed when I came to church this morning, but now I am a little bit depressed. After, you know, giving us four steps to depression. If we ended the service right there and said, okay, let's pray. Four steps to depression. You know, let's just, no. That would be depressing. 
Here's the good news. Here's the great news. That's not the end of this story. That's not the end of Elijah's story, and it's not going to be the end of your story. The great news is that God wants to show up and meet our needs when we're down and discouraged and depressed the same way we're going to see Elijah meet, uh, God meet Elijah's needs. Amen? We're going to see him show up. And some of you this morning, you desperately need this. Some of you, God has brought you here this morning for this very reason and this very purpose. You're down. You're discouraged. You feel defeated about something in your life. And maybe you even feel a little depressed. Some of you may be deep into depression. And God wants to show up and God wants to speak to you and God wants to meet your needs if you allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to speak to you today to get you out of your depression and out of your discouragement. And so we're gonna, what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're going to talk about God's prescription for depression. God's prescription for our depression. And it may surprise you the first thing that God does for Elijah to bring him out of his depression. He doesn't preach a sermon to him. He doesn't throw a bunch of verses at him. He doesn't even tell him to pray. And it may not seem very spiritual to you, but this may be the most spiritual thing you could do when you're discouraged and depressed. The first thing he says is this. You have it in your notes. God says, eat and rest. You need to eat and you need to get some rest. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. In verse 5 it says, After he laid down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel kicked him in the side. Is that what it says? I think that's how we see God sometimes, you know? God's going to kick us in the side. God's got, you know, he's just out to get, he's mad at us. No. God lovingly, graciously, mercifully touched him. It says he sent an angel and he touched him. I, I see that as very loving and patient. He understood the condition and situation that he was in. And he told him, get up and eat. You know, a lot of times when people are in depressed state, they're depressed, what do they do? They stop eating. And he says, you need to eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Don't you love how God is always catering food to Elijah? I mean, I like to eat. That's pretty cool. I mean, God's always bringing him a meal. And so he ate, and he drank, and then he laid down again. He said, okay, now that you've eaten some food, you can go ahead and rest a little bit more. You, you need to, to rest. Because he was burned out at this point. He was wearing himself out. He needed to get some rest. He needed to get some nourishment. He needed to get some food. He'd been traveling all day. He had just laid down to, to die. And I don't know if you've ever been there. You know, to a place where you just were kind of stressed out and burned out and you needed to get some rest. And, and at that time, that may be the most important thing that you could do. That God would say to you the same thing that he was saying here uh, to Elijah. Just keeping it real, a couple of years ago when um, Orchard Church, man, was just, we've had massive growth every year, but we were really exploding. We had about 40% growth um, in one year, two years ago. And uh, we were way understaffed. And most of our staff, and myself included, we were just doing way too much. And um, I, I've never been somebody that gets a lot of headaches. I feel bad for people that get headaches a lot because I, I, I sometimes go weeks and months without a headache. And all of a sudden, I was noticing almost every single day I'd get a headache by about noon and it would be with me until I went to bed at night. And I, I just couldn't get rid of, of these headaches. And I was, I was starting to kind of get some dizzy spells and, and feeling lightheaded. It was just really weird. And so, you know, Shelly's like, you need to go to the doctor. And so I went to the doctor and they ran a bunch of tests. They said, you're super healthy and all that. She started asking questions and how many hours a week are you working and what's going on? I told her, she goes, you're, you're stressed. 
You're dealing with stress. You, you can't work so much. You've got to slow it down. You've got to get some rest. You've got to eat right. That's when I started exercising again regularly and trying to eat a little bit better and cutting some things out of my diet and putting some better things in my diet. And, and, and I had to change some things. And we, I started hiring more people here to be on our staff because we were un, understaffed. And what I realized, what the doctor was telling me was what, the same thing that God was telling Elijah. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is get some rest. Get some rest. Eat right. Because sometimes in our life, if we don't take time out, we'll burn out. And ultimately, we find our rest as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, listen to what Jesus said. He said, take my yoke upon you, and you will find what, church? Rest for your soul. And Elijah was burning himself out, and he was depressed. And God said, you need to eat, and you need to get some rest. He tells him to do this. And then in verse 7, it says, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him. Now, I, I just want to point this out because I think this is interesting. There's a lot of cool nuggets in this story. The first time, it just says an angel touched him. The second time, it says the angel of who? Of the Lord. In, in theological terms, we call this a Christophany. This is Jesus Christ. Most scholars believe this was Jesus Christ showing up in his pre-incarnate state to meet Elijah. This is Jesus, the one that gives rest for our souls, showing up to Elijah and telling him to rest. And he touched him. Again, he didn't kick him, he didn't yell at him, he didn't scream, he just touched him. And he said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. He's preparing him. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Mount Sinai was where most scholars believe that Moses received the Ten Commandments. Remember, one of the reasons that Elijah was depressed is he had shut people and he had shut God out of his life. And Jesus comes and says, listen, you need to go to, to the Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. You need to spend some time with God. Basically, what was Jesus, the angel of the Lord, telling him? You need to eat, you need to rest, and you need to go to church. That's what he was telling him. You need to get back right with God. So that was the first thing he said to do. He said, my, my prescription for depression is eat and rest. Here's the second thing that God tells him to do. God replaces our lies with his truth. God's prescription for depression is that God replaces our lies with his truth. Because when we find ourselves depressed and defeated, many times it's because we're believing lies. The lies of our enemy, Satan. Verse 9, watch what happens. He's on Mount Sinai. It says, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Can we all agree that when God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? God already knew the answer to that question. He's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. He wants to see if Elijah knows the answer. Elijah, do you understand where you are? Do you understand what's going on in your life? Do you understand why you're discouraged and you're defeated and you're depressed? I want you to verbalize it. I want you to vocalize it. We say this all the time and celebrate recovery because the beginning of healing is revealing your feelings. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. I need to hear from you. What's going on? What are you believing? Are you believing some lies? And we're going to find out. In verse 10, Elijah replied to God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. True. I think we would agree with that. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you because they're following false gods. True. That's true. They've torn down your altars. True. And killed every one of your prophets. True. I'm the only one left. False. That was not true. And he says, and now they're trying to kill me too. Jezebel's trying to kill me. 
You can take time later, but you check it out in 1 Kings 19, verse 18. God says to Elijah, Elijah, you think you're the only one. You think you're the only one left, the only one that cares, the only one serving, the only one working. And you think this is hopeless. That was a lie he believed because God said, I've got 7,000 other people in Israel that are following me and they've never bowed down to Baal. You're believing a lie. Elijah believed the lie that everything depended on him, that he was the only person feeling the way he was feeling, going through what he was going through. And no wonder he was depressed and discouraged because he believed the lies of the enemy and now God is going to place those lies with his truth. And that oftentimes happens in our life. We believe lies. Lies like, you know, my marriage is doomed and God can never heal it and repair it. Lie. With God, all things are possible. Amen, church? That's a lie. You know, I raised my kids in church. I raised my kids to know Jesus Christ. They once followed him, but now they've drifted away and they're never going to come back. No way. The lie. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he'll not depart. It may take longer than we think, but it's a lie. You know, my health could never get better. I see God heal other people. He could never heal me. Lie. You know, my finances are never going to get better. I'm never going to make ends meet. I can never get past this addiction. Life's never going to get better. You know, I'm never going to get out of this valley. I'm always going to be alone. Lies, lies, lies. And what we have to do is what God told Elijah. We have to replace our lies with God's truth. God's truth that he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even when we feel like he's left and he's not there, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. With God, all things are possible. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, and his grace is sufficient for everything we face. Can we praise God for that this morning? We've, we've got to be willing to replace our lies with God's truth. That changes everything. That's one of God's prescriptions for our depression. I love the way Paul said it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The apostle Paul said, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Don't think like everybody else thinks in the world. But let God transform you into a what church? A new person. And how does he do this? By changing the way you think. Sometimes we got to allow God to change the way we think, replacing our lies and the enemy's lies with God's truth to bring us up and out of our, our depression and our discouragement and the defeat we're feeling. Paul says, then when you allow God to change the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. And God said to Elijah and God says to some of you today, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Get some rest. Eat right. Replace the lies with God's truth. Here's the third prescription for depression that God gives Elijah. God speaks in a gentle whisper. God is going to speak to him. God is going to encourage him. But not in the way Elijah probably thought God was going to show up. You know, usually when God shows up, you know, it's this thundering roar, it's fire, it's earthquakes, it's, it's you know, it's big voice of God. And a lot of times that's what we're looking for. Well, God is going to speak to Elijah and God is going to show up, but he's going to show up in a gentle whisper. Let's pick it up in verse 11. God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And he's probably thinking, oh, there's God. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was what? Not in the wind. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, the gentle whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And he realized that was the voice of God. And I believe this because I've experienced it in my life and some of you have as well. That oftentimes when we're at the lowest point in our life, that's when God speaks the softest. In a loving, gentle, gracious voice. Sometimes we're looking for that big voice of God, that big sign from God, like Elijah may have been. And God shows up in a whisper. And I believe with all my heart that God wants to speak to some of you today through his word, through his spirit, to some of you right now that feel down. You feel discouraged. You feel defeated. You feel depressed. You may be in the depths of depression. And I know it's my voice speaking, but I want you to hear this from God. And God is saying, I'm here. I've not forgot about you. I love you. I've not forsaken you. I've got this. You're not alone. I, I love you. Just trust me. Just trust me. I want to ask you guys right now just to close your eyes. Just close your eyes, all of you. And I want to quote a verse that I've shared many times here at Orchard Church, but I just want you to hear it as if it's the voice of God. I realize you're going to hear my voice, but I want God to speak through my words and through his word and through his spirit. And listen to this as if it's for the first time, that this is God's message to some of you today. And God says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster and to give you a future, and to give you a hope. Some of you desperately need to hear that today. You need to embrace that today. You need to be encouraged and lifted up by those words today, the gentle whisper of God. What do we do when we're down, and we're hurting, and we're depressed? What's God's prescription? We get some rest. We eat right. We replace our lives with his truth. We listen for the still, small voice of God, the gentle whisper. And then number four in your outline, God gives us something to do. The fourth prescription for depression is that God gives us something to do, a divine assignment to get us back on track. At this point, Elijah has taken himself out of the game. He's put himself on a shelf. He thinks, I might as well die. My life is over. God has nothing left for me to do. And that wasn't true. Watch what happens. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord told him, Go back. Everybody say, Go back. Go back. Go back. Remember throughout this story, we've seen God tell Elijah to go. 
go to King Ahab, go to Mount Carmel, go to Zarephath, you know, go to the brook. He's told him always, God didn't tell him to go and die under a broom tree. This was a decision he made on his own. He had gotten off track like we sometimes do in our life. We, he took a wrong turn. He went down a path God never intended him to go down. And God lovingly says, now, I want you to go back. Go back to the place where you were walking with me and fellowshipping with me. And, and I was using you in a mighty way. And he said, he's saying that to some of us today. And the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimeshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Belmahola, to replace you as my prophet. Go back and do what prophets do. You know what prophets did? They anointed people. They anointed kings. They anointed other prophets. He's like, man, Elijah, you've stopped doing all those things. I'm not finished with you. I'm not done with you. Go back and do what prophets do. I mean, at this point, Elijah is just full of woe, and God's like, giddy up. See how I tied that back in? <laughs> Get up. I'm not done. In other words, you know, if you're still alive, I'm not done with you, Elijah. I'm not finished using you. I've got something for you to do. And God may be saying that very same thing to some of you today. When you're down and you're discouraged and you feel defeated and you feel depressed and you feel like, man, God's just put me on a shelf, he's done. Listen, if you're still alive and you're still breathing, God is not finished with you. He's got something for your life. He's got something for you to do. And I know some of you say, well, yeah, I'm not a prophet. You know, I don't anoint people. Okay, if you're a mom, then go back and do what moms do and be the best mom you can be. If you're a dad, go back and do what dads do. Be the best dad you can be. If you're a student, be the best student you can be. If you're a business person, be the best Christian business person of the glory of God that you can be. If you used to pray and you stopped praying, start praying again. Go back. You used to serve and you stopped serving. Go back and serve. You used to be generous and you used to give and God blessed you. Go back. You used to be in a small group and you had fellowship with other Christians and you received so much love and encouragement from that. Go back. You used to disciple, but you quit. You, used to, you were being discipled and you stopped. Go back. Go back. If you want what you, what you once had with God, go back and do what you once did with God. Go back. God's got something for you to do. Do what God called you to do. And as you do that, watch as God brings life back to your situation. And he turns things around and he gives you hope and he gives you purpose and he gives you fulfillment. And you know, as, as we wrap this story of Elijah up, it, I find something very interesting in this story. As we opened up 1 Kings chapter 19, what was it that Elijah feared the most? Being killed by Jezebel, right? He was worried he was going to be killed. He was worried about death. He was worried about dying. That's what he feared the most, that Jezebel was going to kill him. If you read in the Bible the rest and the end of the story, the end of Elijah's story, some of you know this, that the very thing that Elijah feared the most never happened to him. Because the Bible says that he was one of only two men that never died. The other one was Enoch. The Bible says Enoch was walking with God one day and he was raptured. He was just taken away to heaven. He never died. The other is Eli Elijah. The Bible says that Elijah, when it was time for him to go to heaven, he didn't die. God sent a chariot of fire and he whisked him right up to heaven. What a way to go, right? 
But don't miss this. Listen, the very thing that had Elijah discouraged, defeated, and on the run and depressed, he never had to face. What a gracious God. And some of you need to hear this. Because some of you, the thing that has got you most defeated and discouraged and depressed, and you're so freaked out and worried about, you may not ever have to face. Because God in his grace and mercy will lift you up and out of it. And even if you do face it, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen? And whatever he brings you to, I believe he will bring you through. The very thing that he was so afraid of, he never had to face. And what I'm reminded of in this story is that oftentimes, after a season of great victories... You know, I'll have a great Sunday, you know, we'll have, we'll have all kinds of decisions, I'll feel like, man, it was a great message, and then boom, the enemy will come along, and he'll bring something to try to discourage, try to defeat. Our, our greatest victories are often followed by our greatest challenges in our life. And when that happens, and when we get defeated, and we get discouraged, and we get down, and we feel depressed, we've got to tap into God's prescription. Eat and get some rest. We've got to replace our lies with his truth. We got to listen for that still small voice, the gentle whisper of the voice of God. And we've got to realize as long as our heart's still beating and we're still breathing, God's not finished. And I believe that God wants to speak to some of you the way he did with Elijah. Listen, allow God to write the end of your story, just like he did Elijah's. You don't fill in the blank. You don't write the end of your story. You allow God to write the end of your story. And trust him. And trust Him. Because the thing you fear most, you may not even ever have to face. Father, I thank you for this incredible story of this man of God, Elijah. I pray that we would learn from his life, that we'd be doers of your word and not just hearers only. I pray for those today that are discouraged and depressed and defeated. I pray that this message will encourage them. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now. How many of you would be honest enough to, to say today... You know, I, I, I'm down, I'm a little discouraged, I'm a little defeated, I'm a little depressed, and I needed to hear this message today. And Pastor Doug, would you pray for me? Because I, I am feeling a little down and depressed. And pray that God would work and speak to my life and meet me the way he did Elijah. Anyone like that, would you slip up your hands for prayer all across this auditorium? God bless you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to pray for all those today that you brought here for this time and this place and this purpose to hear this message, this message of hope this message of encouragement. I pray that it would strengthen them, it would lift them up out of their burdens, Lord, that they would cast all their cares upon you because you care for them, that they would come to you and they would find rest for their souls the same way Elijah did. Lord, lift them up out of whatever they're facing. Give them faith, give them strength, give them great hope. Meet them with love and grace and mercy and that gentle whisper just like you did Elijah. We continue in attitude of prayer. Some of you are here today and maybe you're discouraged and you're defeated and you feel like you've, you've hit rock bottom. And the truth is God may have allowed you to be in that place to get your attention. You know, God knows how to get our attention when he needs to get our attention. And you know, when God sends us a wake-up call, you know what we need to do? We need to answer the phone. And for some of you, God has sent you a wake-up call to, in your life to say, you can't do this alone. You don't need to do this alone. You need me. You need Jesus in your life. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never said yes to him, it's, it's not about going back to a relationship with Jesus. It's about starting a relationship with Jesus. 
That's the first step. And I want to give some of you an opportunity to, to make that decision today. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, to speak up, or to come up. I'm just going to ask you to be willing to do what the Bible says. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can start a relationship with Him. And the way we call on the Lord is through prayer. And I want to lead some of you in a, a prayer of faith. You can pray from your heart to God's right now and invite Jesus into your life. If that's you, you know who you are if God's speaking to you. If you know it's time to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? And it goes like this. Jesus, I need you. I hear you calling. And I'm answering. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me and speaking to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Let's continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'll be looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'd never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer, that's the most important decision you could ever make. And we take that very seriously here at Orchard Church. And I'd love to pray for you, just like I prayed for some believers that are going through difficulty. I'd love to pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer with me just now, I want to pray for you. So right now, without hesitation, would you just slip up your hand as a testimony? Yes, I prayed that prayer. God bless you over here. Yes, God bless you. God bless you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. Yes, God bless you, ma'am, right over here. God bless you. God bless you up here, a couple of people. Amen. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. Amen. Several people. So we just continue in an attitude of prayer. Those of you that just raised your hand, no one else, but those of you that just raised your hand, I'm just going to ask you to look up here at me just for a second. Just look up here at me. That is such, that is the most important decision you could ever make. We take that so serious here at Orchard Church. Listen, we want to continue to pray for you by name. We want to send you a little book in the mail. It's called Seven Steps to Joy. So right now, as I get ready to pray for you, I want you right now to take out that connection card that's in your newsletter. Just take it out, put your name on it. Give me your mailing address. Check the box that says, I accepted Christ today. Drop that in the offering bucket in a moment we receive our gifts so that we can send you that book and we can continue praying for you. So please do that right now. You say, what? Yeah, I just accepted Christ, made the most important decision in my life. What's the next step? That's the next step. So we can follow up with you and we can encourage you and pray for you. So please be filling that out right now as I pray for you. Father, I pray for all those who put their faith and trust in you today. I pray they would grow in their walk and relationship with you from this day forward. As a church, Lord, we love them, we accept them, we meet them where they are like you do with grace and mercy. Uh, Lord, we, help, we want to help them to grow as disciples and followers of you. And Lord, we thank you for their decision today. Lord, we, may we all be encouraged and strengthened by your word. May we replace our lies and the lies of the enemy with your truth, for your honor and your glory and our good. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can you help me welcome some new brothers and sisters in Christ to the family today? Amen, amen, amen. Again. Those of you that uh, accepted Christ, you're filling that out, dropping the offering bucket here in just a bit. If you are a first-time guest today, thanks so much for being our guest at Orchard Church. Hopefully, fill out that guest connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket as it goes by in just a moment. We're not interested in your money today, guests, but we're definitely interested in you. And so put that in there. We're going to send you a thank you note and a free gift in the mail uh, for just being our guest today. If you are new to Orchard Church and I haven't had the privilege to meet you personally, I'd love to do so. I'll be out in the courtyard by the white tent, so come by and introduce yourself. If you didn't get an opportunity when you came in this morning, uh, before you leave today, make sure you sign the beam, the steel beam that is out there. That is going in our new building. The steel is supposed to start going up next week. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so exciting. 
so put your name on there, write a verse on there, your kids, everybody, sign that thing up, and uh, we're going to see that building start to go up, and it's going to be an awesome opportunity uh, to, to be a part of that, so si sign that before you leave today. Let's stand now as we close in a song of worship. We also get an opportunity to worship the Lord through our gifts, uh, through our tithes, through our offerings. Those of you that filled out those cards, you can drop those in. Hope you guys have a wonderful afternoon. Get a nap today. You're going to need it. Get some rest. Love you guys.